Welcome to The Truth in Us Art, your source for conversations on arts and culture. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm excited to welcome my next guest, a singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and practicing attorney. Didn't see that one coming. Please welcome Sonny Cowell. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I mean, this is one of those is like when you get referral and you start checking into it. And I was like, all right, let me do some online stalking. What's going on with Sonny? What's this information? Now we're here. So thank you yeah. for, for, for making the time and, and joining this podcast. And, you know, to start off with, it's always a uh, customary, um, you know, some people say, when you come over my house, you take your shoes off. It's kind of that. When you come over my podcast, tell me about your creative background. Oh gosh. <laughs> where did you grow up? What were your, were your first, like, what was, what was your first love creatively? But where did you grow up and what was your first love creatively? So I actually grew up in Prince George's County, PG County, Pretty Girl County. <laughs> um, <laughs> I grew up in PG County or, you know, the DMV generally. Um, so I started actually playing the piano at three. Um, my dad taught me. I don't play anymore, though, so don't don't get excited about that. Um, and then at eight years old, I added the violin um, and then I added the viola at 12, which is now like my main instrument, and then the guitar around 20 when I was in college. Um, so I nowadays I play mostly the guitar um, and a little of the viola. Um, but uh, I've been singing since I was about five years old, uh, but just recently started to do something with it. Um, and then I guess in terms of my background, so I played in orchestras growing up, um, string quartets, um, and also I performed with my dad quite a bit yeah. uh, and wrote my first song at five years old, which he put on his album called Hear Me One. So that's my title tune that I wrote at that age. Wow. Wow. That like, I mean, I was barely like understanding why like i had hands at five and and you're you're you're, you're on you're featured on albums and such and it's like what <laughs> so, so speak to me a little bit more about like your your dad and having sort of like a, a talented creative you know jazz musician around and some of that influence that came around because you're, you're touching on it a, a little bit there <laughs> if i want to you know dive into that a little bit more yeah so um my dad um was a jazz pianist um, he was a composer. Um, he actually performed with Miles Davis in the Miles Davis band when he was around my age. Um, and then that led to him sort of growing, you know, within his own career. Um, and then he wrote music for some Spike Lee movies, um, nice. after that. Um, and then he became a professor. So he was, um, chair of the jazz department at Rutgers. University. So a lot of the sort of jazz artists that are even around here, many of them studied with my dad um, if they're a certain age. Um, so like, for example, Sean Jones, who's the, um, the head of the jazz program at Peabody, he studied with my dad at Rutgers. So, you know, there are a lot, <laughs> there are a lot of people around um, that my dad taught. And um, I guess, yeah, the question was, you just wanted to know his background or kind of what I learned from him. Uh, yeah, sort of, sort of what you learned from him, and thank you for that that extra flourish there of like sort of this this impact that's around in the scene at large here, um, and a bit more as far as like um, you know his impact on you as as a person and how you go about um, your work creatively, your work professionally, any anything along those sorts. 
Yeah. Um, well, my dad was a very well-rounded person. Um, he was, he was just in general, he was very smart. Like he was one of those people, he wasn't just good at the piano. Um, you know, he was also really good at math and science. He used to say that he would be a physicist if he wasn't <laughs> a musician. Um, so I, I sort of, my, my dad had many interests and, you know, even until the end, even in his seventies, you know, he was sort of stretching his mind, um, at that age. Um, he actually learned electronic music and before he knew it, he was teaching classes in electronic music <laughs> at Rutgers. So, you know, he never stopped learning basically. Um, and I, I definitely got that from him. Um, but I guess some, a few things that he taught me, I mean, he, he did teach me that practice makes perfect. Um, I woke up in the mornings, usually around 6 a.m. to him playing piano without fail, always practicing, no matter what he had to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, consistency is key. Um, and, you know, my dad, he didn't, even though he had a long career, he actually didn't perform at the Grammys until he was in his 70s. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Then I, I went and saw him then so you know it just shows that like you can always grow you can always learn you can always have goals and yeah as long as you're alive you can pretty much do anything you want to do thank you thank you that's that's great and I, I started thinking of that uh that sequence from um the the sort of you know you're practicing you're you're doing your stuff and uh in mo better blues i start thinking of that immediately you know having the spike lee sort of thing pop up it just right. Yeah, just seeing sort of Denzel practicing. I, I, whatever my version of it is of me going me, 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 me to get my podcast voice like in place because you got to practice. You know, you got to be ready. Right, and it's funny you brought up Mo Better Blues because actually my dad's hands are used on the piano, so it's not actually him playing the piano. My dad, <laughs> Spike Lee, actually like <laughs> imposed my dad's hands into some scenes. So I love that. And it goes in line with I'm doing a little bit of an homage and I, I might try to stretch it to a fifth movie and doing these uh this like black cinema series. I'm in Baltimore and it's Spike Lee movies. And I got three. I'm thinking I might yeah. I'm thinking I might do Mo Better Blues because I've only seen it for the first time last year. Yeah. I, I have cinematic blind spots and I'm trying my best just to fill them in. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, actually I want to rewatch it now. <laughs> it's been a while for me, but now I have a reason to watch it. So so yep. mm-hmm. you, you had had this this early interest in in music or have you and having 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 a, uh, a dad that that's a musician and being around it um a lot as far as like you know what what really like kept you hooked and interested in it and, and i'll and i'll say this in this way um you know sometimes we have these early interests and then it maybe morphs into something else as we go along um for me you know i wanted to be a comic book artist and I don't do illustration anymore. I'm doing this. Um, I did writing for a while. I did um, rap music for a while. Those files will never be shared. Uh, <laughs> but being able to kind of like have different interests. And I think some of us turn into these sort of uh, creative uh, polymaths. So for you, like what really kept you drawn to music? Um, I guess, I'm, I don't know. It came naturally to me um, because, you know, when I was young, it wasn't a choice, really. My parents basically said, we are a music family. You have to play an instrument. So so it started off with that. So then it just became a matter of, well, which one, which instrument? Um, and so, you know, once I sort of 
fell in love with both voice and strings, yeah. you know, that became like my thing. Um, and then, yeah, from that point forward, you know, everything kind of came naturally as far as the singing and the songwriting and adding instruments here and, and all of that. But I think music became a sort of therapy for me. So, you know, it allows me to say what words alone cannot say right. um, to, to kind of speak my soul and also speak the lived experience of others. You know, even though it's not me, I can kind of, I can kind of imagine I'm somebody else and like write a song as if I'm them also. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. So was, was there like during this sort of like super early trajectory until like now, like I'm still bugged out when you're, you're talking about, yeah, I was in my single digits and yeah, I had songs. It's fine. I just picked up this instrument. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm doing things. Uh, <laughs> was there like a really like big similar experience that, that comes to mind, you know, between like, you know, the classical training on the violin in, in that time when you were at um, Swarthmore uh, College um, and Essence of Soul. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so, well, and actually this is not as related to Essence of Soul because this came later, but I guess one seminal experience I had. Um, so I used to go to a music and arts camp okay. in Canada. Uh, um, at a university outside of Toronto. So this was when I was a teenager. Um, so it was like a little bit, you know, before Swarthmore, but um, but it, it was a very unique music camp in the sense that, you know, it was about a month long and, you know, you got to study pretty much anything you wanted in depth, um, pretty much at a professional level. So, so there I took singing lessons, violin lessons, played in a quartet, um, I even explored doing visual arts and I learned to play the steel pans, no. <laughs> also, which was very random. Um, but basically for every area that you picked, you had to do a recital or a gallery showing or something like that in front of the whole camp. And the camp was pretty big. Right. Um, so I remember the reaction of the audience um, when I sang this song called Your Daddy's Son. It's from the show Ragtime. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was it was a very emotional song um, and kind of, you know, I guess, difficult voice voice wise. Um, and I felt very complete in my purpose singing, yeah. even though I was doing all these other things. And basically my voice teacher and my audience kind of confirmed that as well. Like, this is what you should be doing. Um, so it was that. But it was generally at that camp that I felt that I could pretty much do anything because it was just okay here here here's everything being presented to you and you're with all these other people that can kind of just learn things on the fly so it be it kind of normalized that for me yeah oh i mean um i i had an experience like somewhat recently where it, for the most part you know you record something you do an interview you get some feedback from you know maybe the guest or what have you how they felt the interview one and all of that stuff but it's very rare that you know, due to the nature of it, it's kind of like you record it, you put it out and that's that. And it's rare that you're actually getting sort of that critique. And I'll say there have been two instances where I've had that critique and it's really, you know, given me that sort of insight on, okay, maybe I should look at this in this way, kind of looking at my own process a little bit. Um, one was actually a podcast listening party and getting like direct feedback from folks. They're like, man, that was really funny. I was like, they think I'm funny. This is great. Cause I don't know, you know what I mean? Or even doing this thing that was a, um, it was a three day intensive class and it was, um, 
uh, visual storytelling or digital storytelling. So doing something that's way different than I normally do and having that visual component, it's like, okay, not only am I learning something because always trying to learn something new, but also I'm getting this extra element of sort of this, this feedback from folks. And, you know, inevitably, like I'm one of those like student types, but I'm learning something. It's like, if I'm okay at it, I'm going to try to learn it as much as I can. So I think it was a three-day class and I like wrapped my thing up in day two and I was just like tinkering and polishing and had enough time that if I really, and I really thought about this, I might redo this whole thing all over again, just to see, just to see if I can do it. But getting that feedback was integral to how I approach things, you know, at least in that, that time, that, that period. Right. Yeah. That that's important. And actually um, one of my best friends was telling me, he used the word nuggets. He was like, you kind of have to have these little nuggets around the way, like little gold nuggets yeah. that kind of, it tells you to keep going or tells you that people actually want to hear what you're doing <laughs> or something. Cause it's, you know, who knows if they had told me, Oh yeah, you, you belong on the steel pans. Maybe <laughs> I would have a different story now. <laughs> but... I, almost, I almost want to see the album cover. You, and you, I think you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's, the album cover. it's just, you know, like the back yeah. of a book jacket with you with the steel pants. Like, Whoa. right. Yeah. You really went for it there, Sonny. <laughs> yeah, so no one had anything to say about my my steel plan, you know, fan playing. But but yeah, feedback's very important, um, as well as just how you feel, you know, how you feel spiritually and emotionally about what you're doing as well. So, you know, I want to get get some insight. You, you touched on it a little bit, so I'm curious about um, the songwriting process. Let's talk about that a little bit. And you know, if you can include any of those themes that you, you know, are exploring in your work and, and why those like the themes that maybe you you come back to. Um, I I do this, right? And I'm very interested in what's in the cracks and crevices. Those that's that I just I can't get away from that. It's like, oh, you could do some work that's interesting and you have a like a wild story. Let me hit you up. That's kind of like first in the, the cycle. And then, you know, other folks will have you, but literally letting my interest drive things. And that's generally the interest. So, you know, for you, can you walk us through the process a little bit and, um, you know, sort of those themes that you're returning to? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess in the songwriting process to start, um, if it's a song I'm writing by myself, it usually starts with, you know, chords from the guitar. So for me, it's usually... Um, Usually it's sort of a melodic and emotional sort of um, inspiration that I receive first yeah. when I'm writing. Um, whereas, you know, some people, they just start kind of writing poetry or something, and then it turns into a song. They add those music elements later. But for me, it's just I I feel the music. I feel, oh, this I came up with this chord pro progression or, oh, you know, I... I heard this sound as I was walking around and it would be really cool to build a song off of that. Yeah. So, uh, and then I come up with a theme usually after sort of getting that whole melodic, you know, emotional aspect together. Um, and then the words, you know, kind of flow. And then it's really just kind of putting it into the structure, the song structure that I want. Um, but then I've been collaborating a lot with Mighty Mark, um, my producer over the last couple of years. Um, and with him, he usually just sends me a beat or just, you know, sends me 
you know, kind of like the skeleton yeah. of a song. And then with him, I can write really quickly because he will just send something over and it'll just come to me. And, I'll, and then it's just a matter of picking a theme. Um, so, you know, it might take an hour to write a song with Mark, but on my own, you know, it takes maybe a little bit longer to like flesh everything out. Um, but you asked about themes. Yeah. So um, recently, I've been exploring um, the themes of grief, um, depression, loss, love, kind of like existential thoughts. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's very connected to not only kind of what I've experienced over the last couple of years in my own life, but also looking at our society and, you know, COVID and a lot of people lost people yeah. um, during, during this time. Um, and so I'm sort of, I'm collaborating with, with Mark in terms of like the Baltimore club sound as well. And I was thinking, you know, it would be really cool to sort of have that Baltimore club backdrop, but to also have some more kind of emotional lyrics that yeah. people, people can relate to. So that's kind of, that's what I'm working on now. And I sort of hinted at that, um, with my album, um, as well, because there's a lot of kind of love, loss, grief stuff there but I'm really picking up on that. Um, and it's, it's more about expressing sort of internal feelings, um, in the music. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and, and I'm hearing like collaboration, obviously, you know, <laughs> I've had a, had a little time to do some, some scrolling, if you will. So like, you know, for, for those, you know, like listening, like, um, could you share like your philosophy around collaboration? Like, how how does that work? Like, how do you you know seek out this would be a person that fits? Um, like, what does that look like? Um, like, this is very much a collaborative thing, and there's some vetting that goes on with like, mm -hmm. all right, here's some questions. What is this person about? What do you want to? Oh, right. Really? And um, I find when a person is like, like we we chatted a few times, like via email and so on, but it wasn't like, yeah, Sonny. So um, here here's this is the way the podcast works. It's literally this is the first time we're, we're meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I sort of approach it. I want to keep it fresh to feel like it's a first like conversation because ultimately that's what it is and that's what I'm aiming for. And it has that authenticity, but also that sort of organic flow to it. And that's some of the things you can't really make up. So in terms of collaboration for you, like how do you approach it? What's your philosophy around it? Yeah, well, I mean, contrary to popular belief, I don't really collab that much. Or I will say there's there are very few people I actually want to collab with. And I'll tell you why. Um, but I mean, so I'll start with saying collaboration, I think, is great as long as it's helping you find your own sound. Um, I don't do collabs often though, because I like just working at my own pace. Yeah. Um, and I'm also pretty structured with my time and I just, I like to get things done. Um, and I, I generally consider myself pretty trustworthy and I only wanna work with people I sort of know or have some sort of reference point for, because I find that other people sometimes slow you down. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, I work with Mark so much because we, you know, the way we collaborate works. We we sort of work in a similar way. Um, Mark is very about just like getting results and like getting stuff done. And, you know, because, you know, I, I guess sometimes when you think of songwriting, it can seem like there's not much structure that goes into it. Like, oh, it's just like wishy-washy. Let me just like take a year to like write this song and like record it and all that. But we're like, no, we're trying to like create a, 
machine a little bit with with the music. Yeah, it's it's not the way that people show it in movies. It's like, yeah, you know, we were just messing around, and then it's one time, it's like, that's it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like the producer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we mentioned consistency before, so it's like, um, you know, you we don't really live in a time where you can just put out one song and it's just like the song that's going to like change your life. Everyone's going to hear it. Like that's not how it is. So it's like you have to be consistent, put out quality music for like years, you yeah. know, and have a huge catalog normally um, in order to reach your goals. So, you know, I'm focused in that way. I, you know, I record a lot, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm, it's during a given week. Sometimes I have to give myself those breaks. I'm getting better at that. But, um, you know, 2022, put out 300 podcasts, recorded many more than that. This year, we're going to put out probably maybe a third of that, but, you know, still recording pretty regularly because I, I know for myself and, you know, I've read this in a few different books that, you know, sometimes when you take a break from it, it's almost, it's like, it's like that muscle memory. It's like that sort of connection, that creative muscle memory. And you haven't done it. You haven't, it's not a matter of putting something out there, but haven't like worked on something in a while, mm -hmm. you know, I need to put it out there because it's it's sort of time sensitive. So it's a, it's a sort of um, shorter period of a wait, you know, it's like right. there's a show coming up, you know, I have a theme that I'm working with and so on. So, you know, I want to put that stuff out there because, you know, but at the same time, if I'm not spending time doing it regularly, those first like few interviews that I'm coming back to or first attempts to record something that I'm coming back to, they're going to suck. <laughs> and you have to like kind of get back into that. You know, people say flow state, but I guess get back into your rhythm um, and, and that right. cadence that you're working within. So, you yeah, know, I'm very point. much I'm very much into like getting my stuff done and moving to the next thing. So you know, when I'll be asked to do, hey, come on, do the social thing. I was like, I'm not good at that. <laughs> can I can I go hit this microphone and be in a in a closet by myself? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's more of what my thing is. But when it's that, hey, you know, you know, can you kind of attend this event and so on? It's like, that's cool. I appreciate the invite. But mm -hmm. I think I could be better served in spending this time because it's so precious. It's so little because yeah. like, you're, you're we're balancing multiple things, which is a segue into my next question. <laughs> how do you how do you balance the sort of professional career, the creative career? Like, where do they intersect? Where do they diverge? Good question. Um, well, I used to try and hide the fact that I was a musician from my legal peers <laughs> at work. And then, you know, vice versa. Like when I was with musicians, I would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just a musician, whatever. Because I thought, I used to think that nobody would take me seriously in either field if I was trying to do both. Um, but in the last few years, I've actually embraced um, both my creative career and professional career. And to my surprise, people have accepted it. And, you know, many of my law peers support me by coming out to events, or I'll get certain gigs at certain venues, because they know I'm bringing more of a professional crowd to the space. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, I guess the two really can converge or intersect with my teaching at MICA and now at Towson um, because I teach in the electronic media, media and film department. Um, so I'm basically able to teach the next generation of creatives how to protect themselves legally. So I can offer insight now based on not only being a lawyer, but also my creative work myself. So I feel like I'm finally sort of in this other um, avenue where I'm I guess the two things make me a little bit more legitimate for that particular job. So that's really nice. 
That's that's great. I, I like when folks are doing something that feel wildly different, and it's like this is where to connect, though. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's 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 amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's always a useful thing. Like, um, I do. I'm a data analyst by by day or what have you. Oh. And mm-hmm. when folks are like, "Can you give me your analytics?" I was like, "I can actually." Here you go. Do you want it as a spreadsheet? Do you want it as a you know a, a friggin' uh, what is it? Uh, like a tableau report? How do you want it? You know, and. Mm-hmm. A lot of times folks don't have it because it's like when you present yourself purely as a creative, I think it's this sort of shortcut. Oh, you don't have your stuff together. It's like, oh, actually, I do. Right. I know. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so considering consistency, see, I just went right back into it. Uh, could you share any suggestions or advice for creators pursuing creative goals while having a day job, specifically musicians? So first, I would say make sure your day job isn't just a nine to five, but a career where you can learn something that actually supports your music career. And they don't have to be connected. So for me, it's teaching teaching and working for a nonprofit that keeps me attuned to what's happening in our city and our country and basically the people that I'm representing as an artist. And that in turn makes me a better songwriter. Um, But some other examples of day jobs um, that might support music careers are, for example, a mix engineer, so you can mix your own music, a grant writer, you know, you can apply for your own grants, film director, since, you know, everything these days, um, you need that visual aspect. Um, And even marketing, like being a being a marketing person working in that field. So so having a day job won't be some sort of sacrifice for you um, when you're sort of working in a career that you can kind of draw from um, as far as skills. So I feel like it's just not enough to have talent now, but you have to present your talent in a way that people actually want to consume it. And that takes a whole host of other skills, or at least a lot of money to pay people to do those things if you don't want to do those or have those skills. Um, and and also another reason a day job can be good is um, that really it creates structure in your day. So I find that for me, I actually achieve more because I know that you know certain parts of my day are blocked off for legal work. So it means that I really utilize the time that I say I'm going to work on music. So if you say you're going to work on, a, you know, your podcast, you say you're going to work on something creative, you're not just, you know, going and watching TV and being like, oh, crap, I should have done that thing. Yeah. It's like you actually have to utilize your time. So I feel like that motivates me. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I think that's a really good piece of advice. And when I'm really in it, you know, I look at the beginning of the week, that first like. Mondays are not great from the day job perspective, right? It's just like, this is going to be boring until like noon and then everything just yeah. goes out. So, wow. you know, in that first like four hours, if I'm there at eight, I'm going to try to like work on at least structuring. What interviews do I have this week? You know, putting you know some of that time there. And I know inevitably I'm going to be in the office maybe longer than expected. So taking advantage of that sort of slower period. And mm-hmm. figuring it out, it's like, okay, I know Monday mornings, I got a four hour block, I'm going to work on questions, I'm going to structure what that week looks like. Because often, I think when we're doing a creative stuff, and it's very well said, you know, because another thing that comes to mind is when someone works at a venue, they may be like the marketing person at the venue or have you, but they're at the venue. So it's like, right. they better get that sort of little discount. It's like, oh, I can work on my show, my performance, my stand up, what have you. Mm-hmm. But I think being able to have sort of that that time to structure it and look through it, it gives you so much more. 
You just got to know how to structure your day and how to structure that time. And yeah, you know, in doing multiple things, it's definitely a balancing act. And when something's thrown off a little bit, you're like, all right, gotta gotta look at this. But definitely it's a balancing act. And I think all of it can be done and just have to, you know, serve it. I look at um I look at my day job at times as this is the funder. That's the way I look exactly. at my Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's and that's really important. Um, because that's one thing my dad used to tell me that like. I don't know, I might get some flack for this one, but he was like, you know, I don't care if you're a musician, like you you don't want to be a poor musician. <laughs> like even as you're pursuing whatever you're trying to do, not even for musicians, but it's more of like you need to be like useful to society in some way. So if, especially if you have multiple skills, then it's like, why shouldn't you do that and also pursue music? Um, so yeah, so and 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 again, like nowadays I feel like it kind of takes money to be able to put out quality work because nowadays there's so many so many independent artists um and so you kind of have to set yourself apart by either like i said having the skills being a film director yourself being a marketing person yourself or being able to pay people to do those things so that people actually want to listen to your music so you know i i think it's i think it's important i agree and i think even when you're able to do it you know yourself before bringing someone in, you have a strong sense of who do I need really for this role? Because there are a lot of mm-hmm. folks that come by. I have the the magic bullet, you know. I can you know bulletproof your 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 business and the admin stuff and the marketing and the da da da. But if you haven't you know done it yourself or have a sense of what you want it to look like, you, you know, from a collaborative standpoint, you're like I'm going to be wasting my time because ultimately you're going to be doing it yourself again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's like. It's actually more productive if you can just like have the funds and have, I mean, I understand not everybody works that way too, because I think we're, you know, both in situations where it's like we have careers and we do something creative and we kind of have like the structure and like business sense too, but not everybody has that. So I also realized that, but that's why there, there are other ways to make money. So like, you know, my husband and I became real estate investors a few years ago. And like, that's something, if I decided, you know, I just wanted to do music, then I could just do music, you know, and, and everybody can, not everybody, but like there, there are avenues for everybody to kind of become financially independent i believe where they can you know they can fund their music so they just have to explore that thank you that's great i got i got one last like real question before i get into these rapid fire questions um for you and you know i'm seeing that you performed various places as you were kind of touching on a moment ago as far as like you know having a certain audience and a certain crowd that's showing up um i see howard i see um uh, contemporary art uh, museum in, in Baltimore, Keystone. Um, so tell me about like, describe the feelings that are leading up to a performance. And like, what are those feelings like after a performance? Cause I know it's a dopamine like dump. It's just like all of the stuff is just, all right, I'm going to do terrible. I'm going to do terrible. Okay. Not so bad. And then I'm glad I got through that. When's the next one? Yeah, that's basically how I feel. And sometimes before I perform, I ask myself, like, why do why am I doing this? Who like who told me <laughs> I should be performing? And it's weird because yeah, every time I perform, I sort of feel like like dread. Like I'm not, I'm not looking forward to this. Why did I sign up for this? <laughs> and then once I'm actually performing, it actually feels good. It's like, okay, I yeah, this is where I should be. And then when it's over, then it's like 
you know, you can take a nice breath and you're like, oh, okay, this is relief now. Like that, you know, that's what I should have done. It went well, whatever. But yeah, for some reason before performing, I've, I've never liked that feeling. Um, and I, I've ta- talked to my dad about that too. Um, and, you know, those feelings of nervousness never went away for him either. Um, and for me, it used to go into like, well, I think it still does. It goes in my, like my big toe, <laughs> if I'm like performing, like my toe will like, like stick up. Yeah, that'll show that I, I have a lot of anxiety huh. is it'll be in the foot. So <laughs> yeah, I've been. I've been playing with this idea um, and I just want to see as it, as it executes the more time that I have to think about something because, you know, anxiety is a thing for me. And, you know, as I'm thinking through it, it's like, I'm usually behind this glass, you know, screen of fear and shame and whatever. And when it's like, Hey, we're doing this in front of people say, Ooh, not expected. But I think, someone says, Hey, you know, you got three months and the show is coming up in three months. It's like, look, I'm going to dread it the entire time. But if it's like this show, this live performance, this panel conversation, whatever, it's going to be up, you know, it's happening tomorrow. Mm. I'll have time to think. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The sooner the better. Because also I procrastinate. So if I know I have a gig coming up in like three months, I feel like I don't even practice to like two weeks before. It's like boxers. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't try for this fight at all. Why would right. I do that? <laughs> Basically, because then it's like I'm focused. I know it's at stake at that point. I'm like, okay, yeah, I really got to get it together. But yeah, I, I agree. Thank you for answering the real questions. And um, now it's time for all of that goodwill, that that revelry that was there. Let's let's yeah. get all of this, these rapid fire questions. Uh, so there are four of them. I might add okay. another one. We'll we'll see. Uh, so this is the first one and you know short answers and don't need no no need to overthink them okay what is something that without fail makes you laugh oh um i i'll just say you said don't think about it uh my husband he's funny (laughs) so he's like really like he makes everybody laugh actually but yeah he's actually very funny that's like a top tier compliment for a dude i think you know because it's almost like you're cool and you're funny it's just like this is great. That's true. Yeah. I'll let him know I said that. <laughs> or maybe you'll hear it later. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, name a superpower you'd like to try for 24 hours. Um, invisibility. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Do I have to explain? <laughs> I mean, you can actually explain that one if you like. <laughs> I don't have to go on stage and people yeah, see I don't know. I just kind of, I always wonder sort of what happens behind the scenes, you know, sort of thing. It'd be cool to just, I don't know, be invisible and just kind of hear what people are talking about sometimes, especially for like major decisions, like for the country and stuff like that to just like, I don't know. I'm invisible. I'm just like walking into the Oval Office right now. I'm just going to like hear what they're talking about. I want like that top tier tea, you know, it's like, what's going on there? Uh-huh. Oh, that's yeah. what you're doing. Oh, really? That's what you're doing in the black community. I right, then cool. That right, makes yeah, sense. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. So. <laughs> or somebody sees you and you don't want to talk to them and you just like disappear. Okay. <laughs> it just it seems useful. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, especially tax time. Uh so <laughs> do you believe in ghosts? Kind of. Yeah. I 
I I believe a bit in the supernatural. So I guess that, yeah, ghosts would be part of that. Um, and actually sort of the reason for that. So I, I had my, my best friend um, back when, when was it? I was homeschooled. It was a long, long, long time ago, like elementary school. But she enjoyed going as we grew up. Grace, she would go and take pictures um, of cemeteries at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anybody who would do that. That sounded very scary. But she, you know, she was a photographer, so she went. And she was like, "Yeah, I just want to see what cemeteries look like at night." And then we started looking at the pictures, and there were all of these like little, not little actually, they were like white bulbs like above every um, like tombstone. Yeah. And it was weird. It were like white bulbs with like a little tail on the end of them. Oof. Yeah, it was like weird. And every picture she took, because we were at first we were like, wait, is this like the camera? Is something wrong? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she just kept sending me these like photographs of the cemetery and all these like white bulbs. And we're like, yeah, maybe these are just like spirits like that are like on top. So so I guess I will admit I, I'm not like a superstitious person. I would say we don't you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm I'm free to admit that I, I really don't know but i think it would make sense if there were ghosts yeah i mean if if one uses the the sort of uh what physics or whatever that conversation around energy is it's like well, right that's the representation it's like the soulless energy or have you and you can't destroy it and it attaches to whatever it's been a part of for however long right and that is um i was in new orleans a couple months ago and uh the room we stayed in or the hotel we stayed in was haunted and mm. the, the room we stayed in, we were on the top floor right and we saw no one on that floor the entire week we were there and at 2 a.m every and they were talking about we, we have so many people here we have staffing issues i was like nobody's upstairs on the fourth floor though no one would come in there and clean our room either oh, and wow. at 2 a.m we were always here tapping and I was just like, look, there's, there can't be anybody on the floor above us. So what's happening here? And I was like, ah. hey, Ghost, how's it going? I'm, I'm Rob, do a podcast. Uh, if you want to be on it, you know, just hit that email. We got it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that would be <laughs> cool to be a ghost. <laughs> 100%. Um, I've added another one. Um, so this, this is sort of the penultimate um, question. Uh, what is your favorite dish, either to make, either to eat, you know, get, set a stage for us. Um, my favorite thing to eat, I don't know why this art because it's well, I guess Thai food okay. that's pretty much my favorite thing, so much that I've learned to cook it myself, and now it's just like regular, but but something about getting like food from a Thai restaurant that's really exciting for me. Mm. Okay, here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I like some I like some Thai dishes. There are some interesting flavors that kind of pop in. Like I like lime juice a lot. <laughs> I like you know texture. It's just a lot of different texture than a lot of the dishes that I've had. So yeah, I'm 100 there. Um, even when there's like a curry dish, like some chicken yeah. sort of curry, it's like oh, give me that. Give me both of them. Right, and um, like the soups when they have lemongrass in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yours. I like all the the kind of like flavor layers or yeah. profile or whatever so now this is the yeah. actual last question oh okay <laughs> what is your uh favorite movie that is musically themed like it could be a musical it could be a movie about music like for instance like whiplash is not a musical but it's definitely a movie about music hmm that is a hard one because my favorite one is not really linked to music 
Um, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with my favorite one when I was young, which was Fantasia. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. like this score is amazing and <laughs> everything and like it's fit for kids it's fit fit for really any generation so yeah fantasia that's a good one see I, i'm glad I, it's funny like i omitted the question i had in there what's your favorite disney movie and then it's like <laughs> oh, you're just gonna like trot out fantasia towards the end all right then cool because I, I, I immediately <laughs> think of mickey mouse one i immediately think of that one fantasia yep yeah so it was a, that was a perfect segue <laughs> so that's pretty much it for the the interview here. Um, one, I want to thank you for coming onto the podcast, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to um, share with the listeners. You know, your, your final thoughts, uh, shameless plugs, website, social media, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Awesome. Well, you can find me um, at Sunny Cowell Music um, on Instagram. Um, same thing on TikTok at Sunny Cowell Music um youtube just sunny cowl um same with facebook just sunny cowl um so yeah I'll pretty much all the socials it's just just my name sunny cowl um also very random i'm i'm the only sunny cowl in the united states so <laughs> no problem finding you then <laughs> no problem finding me <laughs> yeah those two names together you know happen to be unique so yeah that seo um, lockdown yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that's really and i have three new songs that will be coming out shortly um so starting probably late april i just had a studio session last week and we're getting everything mixed so so i'm excited um there's gonna be new music coming out um and please check out my album anthology of love which is on all streaming platforms and also on Bandcamp if you'd like to purchase it and there you have it, folks. I want to again thank uh, Sonny Kyle for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lees. And if there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods, you've just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.